0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we have the wonderful opportunity to talk to a passionate and I would actually say gifted educator who's bringing VR to the rural areas of Oklahoma in the USA. Dr. Angela, sorry, Angelina Dayton has over 25 years of experience in technology as it pertains to education. She is known, and I love this uh, tag, as the VR lady at many schools in Northeast Oklahoma. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: So everyone has their origin story or how they got interested in, I don't want to say brand new medium, because if anyone follows VR, they know it's more of a a resurrection again. How did you get involved?
1: So um, that's a great question. Uh, Like you said, it's kind of a resurrected medium. And I actually got involved in spatial computing about five years ago because Uh, My husband and I have a business that deals with uh, helping to create spatial computing laboratories. And we were helping to capture volumetric data in uh, naturalistic settings for social science research in Native communities. And so from there, when I worked at the university, they asked me to work on their VR programs and help incorporate it into the classroom. And that's how I eventually came to work in K-12 education, working in VR. So I kind of came from the spatial computing side. So
0: So with the volumetric capture stuff, is that mostly field work that you have to do then to go outside and get all that?
1: So the volumetric capture um, had to do with... A native language and cultural preservation where we were capturing both artifacts and um, native uh, like basket weaving actual activities that then uh, that were taking place, place in communities to show how native communities are naturally collaborative in teaching. So, um, So yeah it was a very going out into the wild if you will and uh, capturing people just learning the way we used to learn before there was books.
0: So oh, what a great, what a great way to preserve history. I wrote up a lesson guide a little while ago about how you know there's many ways that we can archive a culture or their identity, and this sounds like a brilliant way to archive culture.
1: Yes, yes, I think so. I think so.
0: So I I noticed from your bio that one of the many degrees is from Stanford University, which I'm sure you know is the home to a very influential VR research institution. So Jeremy Balenson, for example, has been sort of breaking amazing ground for us in the VR world. Have you had a chance to visit and see what they're doing there for VR?
1: Yes, I did. And I didn't meet with Jeremy. I met with his assistants that were running the lab, and I follow all of the research that comes out of Stanford. And then um, I look for ways to apply that research in the classroom. Like one of his um, studies had to do with, um, I want to say it was depression more than self-esteem, but we deal with self-esteem in the classroom where individuals can um, participate in being kind of a superhero in their virtual experience. And then when they come out of the experience, having made a difference, um, kind of saving the world, they feel less depressed and they feel more efficacious. And so we've used what he's done there to deal with issues like math anxiety. So if you put a student in a an experience where they're um, hoping to save a city. And then um, they feel very uh, efficacious after that. And then you put a math test in front of them. They kind of forget that they were afraid because because uh, they were just a superhero, right? So so we try to apply some of the things that we learned from his amazing research in the field um, to see if, if it will help improve um the learning experiences of students so yes i i did get to visit and i i don't want to say i'm i i'd say i'm borrowing some of his ideas to see <laughs> to see if it can have a meaningful impact in in um naturalistic settings
0: so. why not i think as you might know that's probably the point to research is it reputable or can you repeat it and i uh well, educators probably want to know, was that special access to certain applications and software or, or does the uh, Stanford uh, offer that up to anyone interested in using the, for example, the superhero scenario?
1: So what we use for that in one of the classrooms and um, is that um, in Richie's Plank, which is one of my my favorite um apps to use, you can punch these um, these rockets that come towards the city, um, and it's, it's a game, if you will, quote unquote game, um, but being successful in a gaming experience that's very immersive we found after reading through the re- research that's put out by Stanford and other places um, has an effect on, uh, an immediate effect on how we feel uh, towards agency in our own lives, and so uh, we didn't frame it as we're trying to help build your self-esteem. We just incorporated a, a game that would allow for that efficacy before test-taking time and then just kind of watched to see. Um, we didn't do pre and post-tests. We're not doing research on students. We're just trying to think of the best kind of lesson planning. And we just watched to see if they seemed less stressed before a test. And what we found was that forgot they were supposed to be worried about test taking after coming out of a gaming experience, which was, that's what it seemed to us. We didn't do pre and post or anything. It definitely just helped the whole classroom environment be a little less stressful.
0: Awesome. I I love what you just said there. So as educators start to learn more about VR, one of the things that, you know, right or wrong that they're they criticize is that there's not enough educational content out there. But when they say that, often their lens has to do with linking virtual reality applications directly to how do I get a student to learn more about X or Y? What I liked about what you said is, you know, the landscape of teaching and learning has shifted more to cons- conceptual or concepts. So like how you used it was to try and build student agency or, you know, there are other soft skills that many people don't realize that existing VR applications, some of them might be games, can help meet that very important need within the classroom.
1: And and I would add to that, that um, there's a there needs to be a paradigm shift within education as we become what I call post-book literate. doesn't mean that we're not literate. It means our literacy is something different. It takes a different form. And so when you look at educational, quote-unquote, software or apps, um, just mimicking the static book model with static content really doesn't Uh, meet needs of the dynamic education that you can get within virtual reality and the dynamic way in which students learn now. And so um, I really try to pull the teachers away from the idea of there's something concrete that I need to take out of my brain and put into the student's brain and really get them to understand that knowledge is dynamic, learning is dynamic, this platform is dynamic. And you're more of a guide in that process. And you are um, the, the absolute control of facts and then the, uh, the giver of facts and the students are the receiver of facts. I think that really that paradigm limits everything about learning and especially limits the ideas about VR. So,
0: Wow, I would concur. So is this one of the reasons why education as a sector has been so slow to adopt VR. Or are there many other reasons in your mind why education has been sort of at a snail's pace about getting VR in the classroom?
1: So I would think that I would think that if you were going to adopt it in a way that didn't fully utilize the technology, that the what I just said would probably be why. But I think as I go out into classrooms, what I find is that the education sector, when it ad- adopted this idea of STEM, was inundated with, and I'm going to use kind of a harsh word, but I'm going to use it uh, instead of a harsher word than I, I usually use. I would say it was inundated with garbage. So what happened was that there were a lot of trinkets and toys and gadgets that Um, schools expended money on to try and get the quote-unquote STEM education. And so instead of viewing VR as the new spatial computing platform, so you go from two-dimensional screens to volumetric or three-dimensional spatial computing, um, that is different than a gadget right and so the slow adoption i think comes from not understanding that this isn't the thing that the salesman sold you because you got a grant and you had to mm. teach stem and so it, I when i inform teachers and administrators i say do not put this in the same category as that thing that's in the desk that you only used once and you <laughs> and it was supposed to teach STEM, but it didn't. And so don't bring that skepticism to this new computing platform. It's it's categorically different. And I think once they underst- understand the change in the category from flat two-dimensional computing to all of the wealth of possibilities that comes with spatial computing, I think you're going to see the increase in the adoption rate.
0: So... I, I agree, as most of the things that you're saying I agree with, which is amazing. <laughs> um, I also think that a lot of educators are worried again about, well, wait a minute, like, I have to teach my kids about um, balancing chemical equations. I have to teach kids about, you know, pointing out the parts to the heart, which is important i.e., this is content, but there are other sort of bigger concepts out there like power or in the case of chemical reactions, control that uh, kids love to to think about and ruminate on, which spatial computing, more importantly, VR, can do such a beautiful job of getting them that sense.
1: I, I agree. And what I find, and I, I'll tell you that when you talk about adoption in school, when I go out to a school, they want to see, quote unquote, educational outcomes. Um, But the thing that I tell them is, number one, your chronic absenteeism will go away. And when students show up, they learn. Students do not show up to read a book. They are not going to come all week long so that on Friday they can read a book but they will come all week long in order to get into VR because it's exciting for them to learn in VR. They want, and if you've seen some of my videos on Twitter, they want to be able to get into that salt crystal. They want to be able to see graphite as compared to a diamond. They want to engage in that creative way where they're uh, moving beyond the static uh, content of books to one where they can, like you say, explore and be creative and kind of lead. And so I, we're both agreeing with each other a lot, and I love it. Love it.
0: <laughs> I, I do too. Maybe, Maybe that's how we serendipitously connected. Yes, yes. <laughs> you work with a huge variety of ages, and there's a worry out there that VR and the VR headset – might do some sort of cognitive or have some sort of cognitive side effect. What's your thought on that? Should there be an age limit on uh, students in VR?
1: Yes. I definitely believe that you should not introduce VR to children until you believe they're old enough to learn. And that's a joke. (laughs) So, 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 What I'm saying is, is that at the moment that a child is ready to experience, you should be able to put them into a headset and let them experience. Um, So I'll tell you a couple of ideas that I have about this or a couple of stories regarding this. So first, um, back in the early 90s, when I got my first personal computer, I was um, an undergraduate. And within a few years, I had to get a new Um, computer. And I gave my old computer to my children who were um, two, four and six years old. And in the 90s, early 90s, that was my grandmother was very upset because that was not a tool for children. Right. Um, But of course, now all children have phones in their hands from about before they can even talk. They're interacting with something far more complex than the old school computer that I was letting my children play um, on at when they were young. And so it's not a matter of um, should you, but I think it's a matter of when we will. And so I, I, I think it's inevitable. and I think that going forward, being smart about it is a way of educating ourselves and our children about how to be um, critically conscious of ourselves as consumers of spatial computing information as contributors, and then later as creators. And that's inevitable. And so the earlier that education can take place, be it how to set limits, how to understand when you're being emotionally manipulated by it, how to un- understanding how it, we want it to fit into our lives or not fit into our lives in certain ways. Some people don't get into VR on the weekends, like they don't get onto Twitter on the weekends. All of that education needs to happen very, very young because just like uh, there was supposed to be screen time limits at some point when they were young, I mean, eventually when ch- people become adults, um, they they utilize it in their everyday lives in ways that we never even um, anticipated. And the second argument, just very quickly, if I can, when a, when an educator comes up to me, I say, um, to them usually something like there's two concerns that kind of fall into that category with me one is the especially in Oklahoma we regularly put every day of the week a student into a helmet and tell them to bang their head up against another student in a helmet so mm. VR for 10 minutes in your class for a lesson once a month not going to affect you then they say um, they say it's unnatural and I say sitting in a chair and reading a book for eight hours a day is unnatural for a seven-year-old. So um, those are my my kind of guiding principles to help people understand. First of all, it's going to be inevitable that spatial computing is going to be a part of our life and it's important to make people um, adept at it, especially those that we're trying to bring out of poverty. Second of all, we do a lot of, children do a lot of things that we encourage that is extreme <laughs> and VR for 10 minutes is not going to hurt you. And third of all, um, the education system in general is not natural. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm not too worried about it. I think as soon as you can learn, learn to do spatial computing, you're going to be better off and more employable in the future.
0: Well, and even some of the, for some of the naysayers, you know, there has been a little bit of research by, Stanford and others, and, you know, it's been inconclusive. Like I know Jeremy Balenson in his book sort of said that, you know, there is no definitive age and, you know, we're still, you know, not a hundred percent sure. And so I just wanted to touch on your point about it being inevitable. I remember too, when I was teaching in the early nineties and we finally uh, had the internet and we were given, one computer and we put that one computer at the back of the room. And, you know, most teachers are like, well, I'm not sure yet what to do with it. There wasn't, you know, a a plethora of internet sites and it wasn't until teachers kind of dive deeper into how do you use that one computer at the back of the room that computers took off and the internet took off. And so I kind of see VR as the taking off in a similar vein.
1: And I would add that in the at the launch of Web 2.0, I worked um, with a large county and helping them to do web-based social service um, interconnected networking. And I had somebody come up to my face kind of aggressive, aggressively to tell me, Angelina, you are crazy if you think anybody will ever put their credit card information on the Internet. So <laughs> so having been through, as you have, several of these revolutions, if you will, um, there are component parts that you that look reminiscent to other times when people usually because they don't understand it or they have some fears about it, resist it. Um, but for the people that engage in it regularly can kind of see the inevitableness of um of where this is going, right? And so yeah. so well, yes. um,
0: Let's talk let's go back to content for a minute. I know we wax poetic or briefly touched on content, but uh what are some of your go-to or popular or most used VR applications that you work with with either uh younger or older kids? It doesn't matter.
1: So uh first, uh um I like to always say that all VR content is educational. And so you'll find yes. Right. You agree. You agree?
0: (laughs) I I totally agree. In fact, uh, I do consulting work and uh, it's been a slow go at convincing others that this is the case. And I kind of cut you off, so I apologize. The gaming world has sort of given, you know, been given a bad rap. And I think gamification, if used properly within education, is very valuable.
1: I, absol- abs- I absolutely agree. Here is what I think is the carryover from the old paradigm of categorizing static content. Um, and when you take away the idea that you can categorize something a static way, because the actually what you're trying to categorize is dynamic, then you don't try to um, make some things just education. A book might just be education because the content is static in it but the way that you interact with spatial computing and virtual reality and augmented reality is very dynamic so you can take away the category and make it what you would like it to be so i think it has it's gonna it'll shift when the paradigm shifts when i try to say don't you know get out of your book thinking head and get into your spatial computing head and you see how it's a much more fluid Right. And so um so just like you, I'm glad that you got excited. I think uh we can't use the word game in education because the idea of games does not connect in educators' minds to learning. Um I disagree mm-hmm. with that, but you know, that's the word world we live in, right? So um so what are my favorite games or what are my favorite apps? So to introduce small children, um I like to put them in Jurassic Park. Jurassic World apps, um, so they can look at dinosaurs. That so, if I'm with a kindergartner or a first grader, and if you go onto my Twitter page, you can see some of the high schoolers taking over some ghosts to some little kids. I put them on a roller coaster. I give them th- that kind of experience. Um,
0: do you get? Do you ever get any kids being a little bit sick or nauseous with the roller coasters?
1: I don't, but I did have oh, this. Good. I did have this really. <laughs> Cool kind of experience where this little boy looked at me right before he put on the headset. I said, "Let me know if you get scared," and he goes, "I ain't afraid." And <laughs> he didn't last five seconds in that headset when that apotosaurus came towards him. <laughs> uh... So I let them know if you get afraid, you can close your eyes, you can take it off, you can tell me, and I usually I have a couple helpers with me that sit really close to the kids, so. As very quickly, um, 360 experiences or storytelling experiences for the younger kids get very boring and they want to interact more. And eventually they want to go, like I said, from, from content consumers to contributors to creators. And so there's not a particular app that I use. What I try to do is give them mastery of the equipment and the language and skill set to master that. So they move very quickly into contributing, however they feel fit and and excited to, and then to be go on to content creators. And so that really moves into why we're creating these experiences in um in Cherokee Nation and Navajo Nation because what we find is once they understand the technology a little bit better, they have ideas to either um do preservation of their culture or their language Mm. or to express themselves in a way that's not often reflected by the the content that's out there both in in regular media or in spatial media so um now they want to be the voice of of the of the new generation of content that's going out there and so i find that um, they they may gravitate towards maybe a first person shooter game or towards a um, something that maybe is a little bit more um, about a content area like science, but they don't want to be the consumers. Very quickly, they want to be. They either want to contribute or they want to create on their own. So beautiful. Yeah, yeah it is beautiful. Um, it is wonderful. I have the best job ever.
0: I, <laughs> uh, I would agree. Now, when you work with teachers, you talk about lesson design. what is what's unique about lesson design as it pertains to enabling a student or a number of students in a classroom to feel successful
1: in, in a In a general way, uh, there's a need on the part of the teacher to retain their job, um, and that requires Making sure that when I I bring um, an app that I think will meet a state standard, that I make sure that it connects directly to an objective that they are required as part of their job to teach. And so that right now, it that's a lot of work because... Um, you're trying to get a teacher to start thinking in this new paradigm and utilizing the equipment to its full potential and also meeting a state standard specific to their, um, to their pacing calendar and then push the limits of that learning experience to the fullest potential of the technology that you're introducing. And so what, not every teacher can do, but I have those champions that are willing to to attempt. And I have to tell you, we're not 100% successful in everything that we do. So they're willing to say, okay, that didn't quite work, or maybe I would do this differently, is to say, how can I get out of the students way so that they can learn. It's one of the sayings that happened out of out at the ceremonial ground the Cherokee ceremonial grounds that I go to the chief said he needs to get out of their way so they can learn. He was saying about an experience that was happening at the ceremonial ground and we realized that the chief of that ceremonial grounds sorry about that. The chief of that ceremonial grounds was more of a guide than about the experiences. And we found that what students, especially in the communities that we come from out here in um, Northeast Oklahoma, they never really acclimated to static content book learning. They really were more experiential. And that experience Mm -hmm. that they had was guided and um, so we try to replicate that in the classroom because VR allows for that experiential learning. Um, yes. Yes, exactly. And there's
0: so, much, there's so much more ready, right? Yes.
1: They take to it very quickly. In fact, those ways in which they fail to perform in what I like to call Western classroom um, assembly line learning, they in, yes. the exact opposite happens when you let them lead or and you just guide them in in the directions that they're supposed to learn they will they will be a lot they're used to wanting to be a little bit more involved in what's happening and uh, sometimes they became discipline issues because they were just supposed to sit still and read the book and in what you find is you take those same students and you put them in a VR experience and they become the leaders right wow. so so lesson planning is around uh, about changing the concept of what a learning outcome is for teachers that also have a lot of pressure on them, especially in low performing schools to m- meet some sort of quick or pacing calendar specifically tied to a state standard. There's a tremendous amount of mm. pressure on those teachers. And so they have they're incredibly brave to be creative and risk taking in this. Right. So. It's not a direct answer, but I I think you get the feeling of how lesson planning has to happen then.
0: I do. And again, it reaffirms a lot of the things that I'm struggling with when I help others. So, you know, I might coach or provide counsel for a school that wants to think about adopting VR and sadly, their first question is how, you know, okay, can you show me how this aligns with, and here's that sort of, almost want to call it a swear word nowadays, you know, how does it align with the book (laughs) knowledge? I'll use your term. And I have to sort of walk them sort of slowly around the idea that you've been alluding to throughout our talk. And that is VR is used best when it's not aligned with Direct facts and direct knowledge—it's more conceptual and uh, experience-related. So you and I are definitely on the same page.
1: I I agree, and and that is um that is a huge leap for overworked, low-paid teachers in the areas that I work in, and so uh, in these areas I. You see me, if you, if you look at my Twitter page, how I highlight these teachers with their headsets and they have big old smiles on their faces because they want to do more and they have tremendous pressure on them. And so I, I come to them in, in a place of empathy and understanding. I also taught K-12, taught mathematics. Children do not want to be in mathematics classes. I taught mathematics in summer school. They definitely don't want to learn math in the summertime. So, so how, do you, how do you keep that passion alive in the teacher and give them some job security? And also, you know, the, these are the questions education always asked and, and also make education and learning fun. I mean, it's the struggle, isn't it?
0: Yes, um, but, but wonderful at the same yes. time. What, what are some of your long or maybe short-term goals that you have? as you sort of bring as an evangelist of VR in the Oklahoma area or even beyond Oklahoma?
1: So what we're working on now is um, we have brought VR into some classrooms and the schools that we're working with are looking at making it available for all grades in all subject matters. So I'm helping them develop lesson plans that align to state standards but helping what we're really doing is trying to move beyond that into creating what we're calling native spatial computing laboratories. And we'll be interconnecting these native spatial computing laboratories at each of the schools so that they can share content. they can begin to work on collecting um, collecting stories and language and um, artifacts within this, The uh, spatial computing realm, if you will, and as they're doing that, developing the skill sets they need for the 21st century. And so we do that right now in Cherokee Nation, and we have schools that we're working with now in Navajo Nation, and we're hoping uh, that we can connect Native, not just within nations, but across nations, this idea of having a space, What the way that I tell them, it's it's an uncolonized space, if you will, where your content is created um, that reflects the values and the beliefs and the cultural artifacts that you hold valuable. Um, and so we're working on that. And I just, I just want to add that one of the reasons why we do this cultural revitalization is because you can put hardware in a school but without a purpose it won't be used Mm. and in the native communities that desire to keep the parts of the culture that are slowly disappearing to capture volumetrically the storytelling of their grandfather or the basket that their grandmother made for future generations um, how their grandmother made it. All those things are very important. And so the idea of these native spatial computing labs is to give a community space for the teaching and learning of a technology that also helps to preserve the past and helps to guide native communities into the future. So that's what we're doing now.
0: How empowering. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I think the communities are very receptive and it helps to break down the idea that there's a difference between technology and native communities. That's not true. It's it's a, it's its a myth that native communities do not embrace technology. And so we're giving a space for those young kids that are already on Instagram, that are already streaming videos to t- Twitch, to have a space to develop those talents and also reflect their unique backgrounds and their unique cultures.
0: Well, and not only that, when you mentioned how their culture... Learns like through experience i would add that vr is you know almost the perfect technology medium for that it would be a neat study by a university if i was a university i in listening to this i i would want to gravitate towards you guys to to see something like is there a difference in adoption rates among natives and vr versus other types of cultures based on what you're talking about on how they learn in their culture.
1: More than just adoption rate, it's like, how do you use the technology once you have it? Do you do you reify power structures that already exist? Do you keep your students in their seats? Do you use it for the transmission of static information? Or do you use it in a way that's kind of like what I like to call post-book literacy learning, right? Um, or even, I'm sorry, pre book. Literacy learning, right? So uh, I think in public education, we think that books were always the way that we learned and actually public schooling and books is relatively new in the scheme of how children have learned for most of the time. Been around, you know. Humans have been around. This is just the last two hundred years or so that large scale book learning has occurred. Most of the learning we did before was very much in our families, in our communities, and it was very experiential, is very naturalistic. And so, um, so do native communities? Did they retain that? Did they retain that enough to be able to experience it again within VR, or or did we? did we colonize that out of them? Right. (laughs) So that's, that's a a curious question that I, that I think about sometimes.
0: Oh, and I mean, I love your ethos as it pertains to VR or more importantly, I guess I love your ethos (laughs) as it pertains to learning, poor schooling, schooling keeps getting in the way (laughs) of learning and what's best for learning. I have, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our listeners. If people wanted to get a hold of you, maybe to ask you more questions or just keep sort of following what you're doing, what would be the best way that the listeners could do that? So
1: I am very active on Twitter. My handle is the VR lady number one. So VR lady one. Um, And um, I also have a website. And it's uh, the vrlady.com. And I, I'm usually very responsive, although I spend a lot of time driving between remote locations with no cell service. And I, um, if you keep track of what we're doing, there's going to be an opportunity to contribute to the development of these native co- spatial computing labs. Um, especially during Christmas time around Thanksgiving, we're going to be posting up uh, opportunities to buy Native jewelry, Native baskets. And then if you decide to buy those as your Christmas gifts, you'll be supporting the development of Native spatial computing labs. So these will be these Wonder. these Wonder. will be this will be jewelry made by children and communities that want to uh, create these labs. And so they will be funding it with the with the cultural with their cultural um jewelry and basketry and clothing and so keep an eye out um, on the website and on the twitter page for opportunities to contribute
0: perfect well dr dayton thanks so much for uh spending the time with us